The Articulate Coven is the original, unofficial podcast and fan community for Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire and Anne Rice's Immortal Universe from AMC and AMC+. Welcome to The Articulate Coven, the unauthorized podcast, unofficial podcast, however you want to say it, about Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire, the Vampire Chronicles, the Mayfair Witches, Everything that's coming from AMC and AMC Plus, and of course, the original books themselves. We are your hosts, uh, Ashley Wright Eiler and Joel Sharpton, and we are so glad to be back. Actually, oh! the last time that we spoke, uh, there was a pandemic that was beginning, and uh, I've been I've been told that it's over. I, that, I've been told that by people I don't necessarily agree with, but <laughs> that's the word on the streets, <laughs> it's man. At least. It's at least been mitigated, right? I that's have the to word, say, I guess. in and, Arkansas, and, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it was ever a thing here, really. You know, I went to work the whole time. It was insane. It, it felt that way in Louisiana as well, no doubt. And uh, the one thing that is interesting, I was looking back, like, as we get ready, because the series is imminent now, as you're listening to this episode, if you're listening to it at launch, we're only a little over a week away from the release of the first episode of Interview with the Vampire, the the actual TV series that we've been building up to this whole time. But the last time that you and I spoke, this TV series was coming from Hulu. There's been a network change, a, a half dozen showrunner changes, and uh, of course, lots of casting announcements that come over the last uh, year and change. Um, and, and now not one series, not even two series, but a whole universe of Anne Rice television series lay before us. And uh, man, can you believe that it's happening? I am so excited. I, honestly, I was really starting to lose hope there for a while. I'm not going to lie because it just didn't seem like. And then with when COVID hit and it shut down so many productions, you know, um, across i mean across the globe it shut the entertainment industry down completely so with that thrown in there i just i really wasn't 100 percent sure it was gonna happen and i'm so excited and i'm so like i didn't expect to be as jacked about the mayfair witches as i am i'm really excited about that casting i love alexandra however her name is said she's fantastic um she was great in white lotus um, so I'm really excited. This is, I can't believe it's really happening. It is actually happening and happening in a big, big way. If you listen to the executives at AMC, we're going to talk more in our next episode about uh, the series itself, the behind the scenes special that's available right now on AMC and AMC plus uh, you can go check that out. They made a, a hour long special about the, this series. And at the end, they sort of hinted at what we were just discussing, the connections with the Mayfair witches series that's coming on the heels of this one. And then their broader plans for this universe in these characters and it's expansive i mean let's be honest there's this walking dead thing that's sort of wrapping up at least the mothership is and they're looking for what the next big thing that they can Absolutely. build for you know 10 years worth of television and they they've picked Anne. they've picked Anne and and her vampires and that's very very exciting it's because we've been so good joel <laughs> We've been such good people. We, we have deserve been. It. We've been so. We've been so patient. So patient, <laughs> so understanding, and uh, such such uh, cheerleaders for this entire right. project from the beginning. Um, so 
We'll talk more about the TV series next episode. This episode, we're going to focus on the fifth book in the original series, uh, Mimnock the Devil. And uh, we're going to tell you not only what we thought about it and, and some of the major plot points and what it adds to the series and what it meant for us, but also what it might mean for this uh, television series and uh, universe as well as a little bit of your own feedback. We mentioned in the uh, Facebook group, which by the way, there's links in the show notes for the Facebook group, and you can join us on Twitter if you'd rather do that. Um, we ask in the Facebook group, hey, give us your feedback on both the behind the scenes special as well as Mimnock the Devil if you've been able to read that book. And so we'll have some of those comments uh, towards the end of the episode. Uh, by the way, something I got asked today, Ashley, and I wanna mention this here, even though this one isn't specifically about the TV series, I got asked the question, will our podcast feature spoilers for book readers who haven't read all the books? And oh. it was the like the way that that was framed hadn't really occurred to me. You and I have mentioned before in all of our episodes uh, that spoilers are a concern for us because even, even you haven't read the most recent books in the series, right? Right, right. I have catching up to do. I'm way behind. So, yeah. Well, well I, I think, think that especially... Especially with the TV series, I think that's going to be the case for lots of people, right? They'll maybe maybe they've rushed out and will read Interview with the Vampire before the series launches or before they start to binge it, but they probably won't have read The Vampire Lestat and The Queen of the Damned and uh, Tale of the Body Thief and so on and so forth. So, how are we going to handle spoilers for the show? What What um, are your thoughts on that? Well, it's hard. I mean, to also, I'm a, I'm a strange person, so unless it's Star Wars. I don't really care about spoilers. It doesn't really, it doesn't hurt my experience of of, of watching it or, or whatever. I, it doesn't bother me. And I have really bad anxiety. So sometimes it helps, you know what I mean? It like kind of keeps me from getting too like into my feelings while I'm watching it. I can't enjoy it. Less stressful. And I think they've promised us Easter eggs, Joel. And I think it will be really, really hard for us to not... <sighs> to not accidentally have spoilers when we get excited about things. You know what I mean? Yes. So the the what I told this uh, message today, I said, I think we will do our best to segment discussions. Yes. Right? Well, that's kind we of can how start the discussion each episode. Yes, absolutely. Hey, we're going to focus on the things that happened in this episode and what we thought about those things. And then we can have a second section that is literally just as you just described, Easter eggs. Here's things that we heard or saw in this episode that we feel like is AMC and these creators hinting at what's to come and what they're building out for us, both in this series and others. And then even a third section, and maybe we could put this post-show where or I quote, quote unquote, post show where literally like we play the outro music and then you and I continue this the discussion for a few more minutes where we could discuss here's some blatant things that happen in the book and what this might mean is coming for the series or where they might be headed with this etc cetera, etc cetera. and that way if someone wants to hear that part of the discussion they can hear it and if they want to avoid it they can but all of those things will be you'll you'll get both an audio warning but also I'm going to do my best to actually make uh, chapter markers in in the podcast so you'll see what's coming and what's what we're going to be discussing in that section and can skip ahead if you'd like or or skip it all together that's how much we that care sense? about you guys we care about your needs <laughs> well hey also though I care about 
I do care about this universe, I and I do. I think so much about what my best friend in the world is Josh Shirley, and Josh Shirley's favorite book series of all time is the the Song of Ice and Fire, the the George R. R. Martin series. And you know, whatever it was, 10, 12 years ago, when that series was launching on HBO, he was so giddy, and I remember his description of how it felt to see this thing that he's been thinking of and dreaming of and speculating about for you know 20 years at that point, 25 years, whatever it had been, finally being revealed to and discovered by quote unquote normal people. And then them slowly getting ahead of the TV series and reading the books because they couldn't wait to, to find out what would happen next. And, and that whole process was both fascinating and uh, sort of like nerve wracking for him and fun. I want all of that for us. I envision all of that for us. And I respect the people as you come along that like this guy, he's reading interview with the vampire today. He's trying to, to cram it in a week or two for the very first time before this series starts and is going to go on this journey sort of with the TV oh, watchers I, I and, and we so want to be there for them as Absolutely. well. So I think that this is going, isn't it though? It's so exciting. I'm so excited for uh, people that have not gotten to meet these characters to get to go on this journey with us. Like, and I think that we're, we're really one of both of us are so invested in being good guides for you y'all that are listening to us, you know, especially if you're new to this and you're new to this, uh, this world, like we, we don't want to ruin it for you. We want to help you love it even more. Absolutely. Welcoming a hundred percent. Uh, speaking of let's get into some weird shit, yes! Ashley, let's talk about Memnock the devil, the fifth book in the vampire Chronicles. And interestingly enough, here's a little hint to uh, next week's episode. When we talk about the behind the scenes series, the showrunner held up at one point the first five books, including Mimnock the Devil, and said, this is the interview they're having yes. now. Uh, meaning that this conversation uh, that we're going to see between, you know, Louis as portrayed in this series and our interviewer, Daniel Malloy, it's, it's going to be all of those events that happen in these first five books. And I love that they've included the fifth one. The fifth one's weird. The fifth one's out there. It's very different than the first four. It, it came much later than the first four. And yet you and I specifically, I think, it has a very special place in both of our heart. This this was the first Anne Rice novel that I bought new, like as it launched. What about you? I think that's that's 100% accurate for me. 100% accurate, yeah. And I actually, um, those are some of you guys that are in the Facebook group may have seen it, but um, I reviewed Mimnock the Devil for my high school newspaper. <laughs> Shout out to Mrs. Garner for it. being so badass and letting us review things like Mimnock the freaking Devil. Yeah, it's definitely the first one that I experienced when it came out. I think I, I think I bought it the day that it launched at Sam's Club of all places. I remember very specifically at this time. I don't know if this is still true, but at this time, you could buy a, a new hardback novel at Sam's Club for like fifty percent off sticker price or whatever. So, you know, I got it instead of whatever it was twenty eight dollars. I got it for thirteen and change because my mom had a Sam's Club membership. Okay, let's just get into this thing. It is incredibly philosophical, obviously. It is literally a journey to heaven and hell. I say literally. That's at least <laughs> the way that Lestat understands it and how he presents it to us, the the readers of the tale. Um, I, I want to get into this right away. My first biggest takeaway from the book, the thing that still sits with me, you know, decades later now, 
Mimnock, the, the main character of this book, the antagonist, I suppose, Mimnock is disappointed in God because of what this universe is, the cruelty and the violence of it. The world is wrong, and Mimnock is sad and pissed off about Same. it. Same. And I'm, I'm constantly aware of how much Anne's theological musings filter through her books. That happens in all of them. I was warning the the reader that I mentioned, the first time reader that I mentioned earlier about Interview with the Vampire. I said, you have to realize Anne was grieving the loss of a daughter, a, a baby daughter. She was, I think, three when, when her daughter died. And that is what Interview with the Vampire is about. That's not what the Vampire Chronicles are about. <laughs> They're about a lot of other things. But Interview with the Vampire is primarily about the loss yeah, of her child. It's about grief. About, and the mortality yeah. of children. Yes. This book is primarily, I think, about Anne's war with, love for, dialogue over her Catholic upbringing, and her own reckoning with her own understanding of, of God, of the deity. That's just, you know, externalized for her in this dialogue with the devil and Lestat. Well, there's, you know, she's so open. She was, uh, and by the way, we lost, we, we lost our beautiful Anne. And uh, that, that was. I, yes. We mentioned skipping networks. I forgot to mention the, the, the passing of the queen, literally in this case. And then now we've also lost the queen of England, but the queen of our hearts, the, the, the queen of the damned herself, uh, Anne, yes, she passed away in between our last recording and this. And you know, she lived a long and oh. happy life. I'm glad that she didn't live to suffer uh, a declining health, et cetera, et cetera. Um, she and Christopher got to work very closely together in the last few years. The one regret I personally do have is that she didn't see the launch of this series. I think she would have been pleased with it. We don't know what the, the final you know, verdict is going to be about how we think it, it does with this adaptation or, or how the public at large is going to take it. But it would have been nice to at least I've seen it launch and for her to have been part of that, to get to see, you know, a little moment of what George R. R. Martin got yeah, to see with his absolutely, creation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, she was just such a, thank you for yeah, mentioning absolutely. that. She was such a giving uh, person. I think giving of herself to her fans in particular, she was always so like, I mean, I remember, you know, Joel, when we were like, when we were growing up, there were these huge balls she would throw in New Orleans, you know, that were uh, these Lestat balls that, you know, were like things of legend in my mind um, as a teenage girl hung up on vampires. Um, she was really vulnerable and, and willing to talk about faith and loss of faith and and how it changes and how you know her her personal journey with religion and outside of that with just faith in general I think is um, is is something that's really cool she kind of was open about that so we know a lot of what she was going through when she was writing some of these books and and I think I mean obviously this is very philosophical and as someone who who um, grew up around religion, but was not necessarily instilled in a organized religion. Um, it, it It's very fascinating to me. I think that's one of the things that drew me to this book immediately was that it was this, this very like practical conversation almost that you don't expect between, you know, yourself and the devil or yourself and God or God and the devil. You know what I mean? Yes, I also 
I also love the the resolution or the the result of that conversation in that you you have this character the the whole point of the thing is that the main character is sort of questioning the nature of God and the the positivity of God when you see the suffering that that the world holds, et cetera, et cetera. It, it, you know, he's warring with his own existence, just as Anne is. But then also, when presented with the quote unquote solution to that whole problem by Mimnock, Lestat rebels against that, of course, too. He says, "No, I won't be your pawn either," even right. though. You know, I, I sympathize with you and, and agree that God is a fool in all of this. Um, anyway, the the whole, that whole dialogue really caught me this time. The other thing that I was struck by uh, in reading it was that there's this sort of preamble before we meet Memnock properly, where Lestat has been tracking this, you know, intense crime lord and can't wait to to uh, destroy the evildoer and uh, and feast himself, which he's, he's only eating evildoers at this point in his existence. And he can't wait to do that, but then he does, and he's confronted by this specter of Mimnock, gets lost in what uh, this, this massive uh, religious collection that this guy has been amassing. And, and all of this stuff seems like sort of a weird bridge for Anne in writing this. She's like, I want to have this conversation about God and the devil, but how do we get from the really rollicking adventure story that Tale of the Body Thief was into a theological treatise that I would like to have about, you know, the universe, life, the universe, and everything, so to speak. Um, and she felt like she needed that bridge of the story of Dora and her father, these religious artifacts and this collection uh, and this, you know, sort of mafia figure that Lestat had been tracking. I think it's entirely possible that by the time we get to an adaptation of this story in the television universe, a lot of that will be streamlined. Very realistically, Lestat could have had a fascination with Dora as he's already had with other uh, you know, human women in, I mean, even in the recent past, Queen of the Damned and Tale of the Body Thief in each, there's a couple of, you know, human females that Lestat falls for in some way and is connected to them and in, ends up beholden to them in some fashion. That could just have happened again here with Dora. No need for the mafia father figure at all. And then you've got the human to report to and bring Veronica's veil to in the end. But I, th I think all of that gets streamlined and it just becomes about, instead of Lestat stalking someone, it's just about uh, uh, Memnock stalking Lestat suddenly. I, I could totally see that being the direction it goes. And I really hope they don't. I feel like that first part of this book is so... Oh, I love it. It's like the most perfectly constructed short story. I don't really know that Anne really had much... I mean, I know she didn't really do any published short stories. I wonder if she ever wrote, you know, shorter shorter stories. It's like Stephen King. I love his short stories so much. They're like these beautiful jewels. And that whole first part of that book, that conversation in the bar that he has with, with the ghost, essentially is so fantastic i love that scene like as a person who loves theater and has an acting background i like that's juicy shit. i love it so much that conversation feels so much like it mirrors it's gonna mirror all the conversations that lestat's gonna have going forward in this entire book 
Yes. Okay. I can hear that. You know what? You've sold okay, me. Okay. Excellent. In, You're I so will agreeable. Say this. I'm so glad. One of the things that, well, no, but I, in my own memory, I, I, I found myself. I thought back on reading this. Well, one of the. Okay, we talked about starting to re reread this with each other two years right. ago, and here <laughs> we are finally just finished it very very recently. I mean, I, I finished it. I think a month and a half ago. You only finished it like two weeks ago, but still. Both of us drug in this, and if you look in the comments, we'll bring some of those up later from the Facebook group, others have said, oh, God, I got lost in the middle of this book. And in my thinking and in my memory, I say, oh, I got lost in that first half before things really get rolling and you meet Mimnock. But actually, I think perhaps it's the other way around. That you, It may be right. You've got a great sort of adventurous uh, short story there, then that on ramps to this long creation tale, effectively from Mimnock, where he's, he sits Lestat down and describes the creation of the world. And, and that, while interesting and compelling, especially to think about and talk about, is so much slower and differently paced. It's a big tonal shift right in the middle of the book, basically. And so that may be the... I was thinking it's more about the, the, the early part. It's actually when... Mimnock gets into his beginning tale before that really picks up and, and climaxes. Yeah, well, Mimnock's even like, okay, I, I, he's like, I got, Lestat's like, I gotta go deal with this first, basically. <laughs> you know, like, before we can get on with our nonsense, you know, I gotta go deal with this shit over here that I've made a mess of. And it's it's kind of what throws <laughs> him into it, I feel like. It's kind of the, the um, you know, Oh, I, I just, I think it's, it's something I know when I read it the first time, I guarantee you knowing and remembering sweet, sweet baby Ashley, she read that so fast, she didn't even give a damn about the beginning of that. She was ready to get to the action, you know, and whereas this time I really, really, I was trying to listen to the audiobook, and then I got mad at the guy who reads it, who I loved reading tale of the body thief but the language in this is so luxurious and it just wants to be read aloud in a, the most beautiful way i just love the way this is written so much he was not doing it right and so i had to read it on my kindle um but it's just oh i, I don't know i i fell way more in love with this book than i even thought i could on this reread, to be honest. I just, I, being older and wiser and still loving something that's super subversive, still not being a part of an organized religion, I still feel like kind of justified when I read this book. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely agree with you there. It is a, uh, it, it is one of the ones, I mean, all, all of them have been enjoyable to, to revisit, but this one, reminds me of 13 14 year old joel reading this for the first time and thinking how much better am i than these peons in class with me that don't <laughs> understand the universe and aren't contemplating you know the nature of of god and and our position under him um let's talk for a minute about one of the the central moments in the book so lestat visits heaven sits in the presence of of god the father so to speak visits hell uh sees the lost souls and the school that memnock has set up effectively to to elevate them towards forgiveness of god and and uh, uh re being able to return Which to heaven is beautiful. but then he also 
it, all of that the, the the very concept of a uh, of a sort of rehabilitative afterlife i think is is fascinating and honestly you know not that far from some of the fairly fundamental Christian Absolutely. ideas that that had 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 were floated out Got there in my own childhood. Feel to it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Laid out as it is in the book, I think most people, most adults in my life that I brought this to as as a child would have said that it was sacrilegious. But right. the the <laughs> concepts in broad form are actually very very akin to some of the uh, devoutly held ideas uh, within the Christian religion. But the the thing that struck me was the moment when uh, Memnock and Lestat visit the crucifixion itself. Oh. They see Jesus on the road under the cross. They retrieve the veil, but only after Lestat actually drinks the blood of Christ by Christ's own invitation. And it occurred to me, especially in the shadow of this series premiering, <laughs> what is the press going to be like when they get to that moment in the series, right? I mean, now, we've talked about this before, I think, maybe only off air. AMC is a network that does not shy away from controversy. In particular, very recently, they had the Preacher series that went multiple seasons oh, and includes wild. even more quote unquote sacrilegious imagery, you know, or at least scandal, you know, what would have been scandalous imagery in the past. The one thing I'll say there is the marketing push behind the Preacher series is nowhere near what AMC has already done with this interview with the Vampire series. And the plans for that Preacher series were not as expansive as what they have with the rights package that they've purchased for Anne's work. So, uh, it, again, it will be interesting to see whether that kicks up dust and whether, you know, my grandmother asks me about uh, that Aunt, that Dirty Anne Rice series uh, <laughs> that the preacher mentioned at church or something. I don't know. We'll have to see. Oh, I love it. But that moment is powerful, even if you take out the quote-unquote, you know, sacrilegious nature of it. The moment's powerful for Lestat. The blood is so central to this uh, story and this universe that Anne's created and up until this point, human blood, however central to their own existence, has not been imbued with the same description and you know rapturous nature that vampire blood is. When they share blood with one another, particularly the elders, that's when the real high comes, and the you know all the imagery that we might uh, ascribe to a sexual encounter, the vampires have that when they share blood with each other. Well, Lestat gets all of that and more when he drinks Christ's blood. And it's interesting, especially when you think about how central Christ's blood is to the nature of the Christian Absolutely. religion to begin with, right? Like, it's it's interesting to see those things woven back and forth together. Well, and boy, I hope this series works. I do too. He's literally taking communion. Like, he's being offered communion. Um in in a in a way, and I know yes. I know some people won't see it that way, but that's a hundred percent the way I see it. But I also, because this is such a complicated story, see it as a manipulation. <laughs> oh. oh, it absolutely it's is. It's especially presented that way in the book. Well, I'm it's it's you know God has made his pitch already in heaven and then allowed Memnock to walk away with Lestat and sort of make his pitch, and then here he's like. <laughs> What you'd really like a little bit of this juice, wouldn't right? You? Just a little bit of this juice, squeeze, huh? Squeeze. Lestat, huh? Huh? You're on my team. Fresh squeeze. You'd never, you'd never betray me, right? That's what you said. 
and and of course I mean that's literally what that's literally what he says, and that is it is a manipulative moment. Uh, even I, I think, and also we see Mimnock do similar oh, things God, as well. Absolutely. The way that he, the way that he presents, um, the way that he presents Sheol or 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 Hell to Lestat, I think, is clearly manipulative to show the worst conception of God. The interesting thing to me, though, is that in my modern understanding of of the deity i mean and i sometimes i still call myself a christian sometimes i don't but my modern understanding of god is much closer to uh a, a prime mover or a all encompassing force you know a fourth dimensional being and so when you come to me with the with the problem of pain so to speak you you talk to me about well why suffering well why evil well why x i'm like i don't know he's a fourth dimensional I, being what do you want from me which is effectively yes and i mean and that's the resolution of the book as well too like we <laughs> god works in mysterious ways effectively is where Anne <laughs> ends up with it too um but boy i I just, I hope, I hope that this series has legs and I hope that it has enough force that we can see this played out. I want, you know, 10 million on the episode where Lestat drinks from Christ and we see the crucifixion and we see Veronica's veil, uh, you know, blazoned into existence by, by touching Christ's face. And we see this entire crisis of faith from Lestat about did any of this happen? Right. Is any of this any real? Of this if real? it is, what does it mean? It's, <laughs> Even if it is real, what does it's it mean? It's so wild. And I've, what's, <laughs> I love Mimnock. I love Mimnock. I love that character. I think, and I, and I got, I got taken in again. You know what I mean? Like he tricked me again this time <laughs> in a way. And I love it so much. I love that I fell for him again in that way because everything he says is things that I feel. Uh, not everything, but a lot of things, you know, like the suffering, the, the, how hard the world is, how, you know, like kids getting shot in schools, you know, the war in Ukraine, like the world is hard. And, and it's not, like, I get where he's like, man, God's a jerk. <laughs> and it, you don't have to be a jerk. The one other thing that struck me, and I don't, I don't remember this for a fact. I seem to remember reading or hearing at different times that Anne had an abusive father. Maybe that's not true. And if I'm misremembering someone, please correct me in the comments. But I was struck by the Mimnock god relationship yeah. as that beloved child of an abusive father right mimnock sees the hurt that god is doing to to mimnock but also to all of his creation through neglect through ignorance through <laughs> ambivalence yeah. mimnock's not even sure why <laughs> it's just, it's a, right is it is he bored Does but he i see care? it and no one else seems to yeah, yeah. Uh, and that is um, that that is that is hard to that is hard to read, even if you take out the cosmology of it and just make it that a father child relationship. Um, it, it is it's compelling stuff. I, again, her characterization here and and the humanity that she brings to all of these creatures, supernatural and otherwise, it is just absolutely fascinating. Um, and I want I want more of it. I want all of it. I want all of these people. 
uh, to exist and and to people our television screens for a long, long time. Um, oh, oh! Before we get too far, I really have to mention the absolute beauty of the writing when mm. Lestat is in the room with all the artifacts, and when he actually sees Mimnock in there. And the way he's described, and he's not sure if he's, like, he thinks it's a statue, but he's not, you know, it, that is such, like, that whole section of writing is so beautiful. I wish I had my Kindle in front of me, because I, man, I highlighted so many phrases, so many sections in this book, um, on this read, just because of the absolute beauty of the writing, how lush and descriptive it is, and, oh, it was just like that description of, of him looking like like hard, but also not and alive, but also stone and these wings. And oh, I loved it. Love it. I, I know that there are many that say, oh, Anne is purple prose and I don't need to read eight pages about the drapes. But that is a great example oh, of how so that style of writing is so moving and can be so perfect. And even if you don't really care for it in all of its examples, there are moments where it does rise to the level of poetry. You're absolutely right. The really exciting thing for me is already in the trailers and what we've seen of this series, you can tell that they, when they find they can, seem to be lifting a lot yes. of the direct poetry straight from Anne. In particular, uh, I've already heard several comments about the city of New Orleans or about Lestat specifically that come directly from the book. And and I think, boy, it's going to be exciting to see those as they come and, and to hear how they can incorporate more of them as they go. Um, the thing that occurred to me is this is a book of segmentation. So we've already talked about there's the first short story about this, uh, you know, stalking of and then conversation with uh, Dora's father after he's a ghost. Then you've got the Mimnock story, basically. And I had forgotten entirely. I, in my mind, as soon as Lestat escapes, effectively, it, he's in the jail cell being held by Mahare without his eyes, and, and that's how this book ended. But it, it, I mean, it goes there eventually, but in between, there's a long section where the vampires, Lestat and Dora, discuss what happened basically, and whether or not it was real and what it means for everyone. Um, and again, it's like, I love that, that sometimes I do think Anne understands she has that sort of flowery over the top language. And I think sometimes <laughs> she's almost like, ah, there is too much. Let me sum yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> let me sum up. Here's, you know? here's this. Uh... And here's a moment in case you missed it. Here's the central themes, and here are the arguments to be made. Here's the one for it, and here's the one against it. In that whole discussion, by the way, I think there's, um, I think there's a great comment here. I wrote it down. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, Armand steps forward, and he says, Why didn't you accept? Why didn't you give him your soul? Talking about Mimnock. Why wouldn't you accept Mimnock's offer? Why wouldn't you work for Mimnock and therefore God himself? And... Uh, it's so clearly that that's Anne, the young Catholic schoolgirl, wishing that she could completely believe, expecting a miracle, an actual real-life miracle to happen in her life. You know, Anne's talked about that was her upbringing. You know, she wouldn't have been surprised if an angel had come and said, you're going to bear the 
you know, the son of Christ or the, the son of God. Uh, she wouldn't have been surprised if if she could walk on water one day. She wouldn't have been surprised if uh, you know a blind person or a lame person had been healed in front of her. That was the world that she thought she inhabited, and that's the belief that she brings to the character of Armand. It's wonderful how she segments out herself into all of these creations. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's just such a good observation. Armand is so uh, complicated, and um, and I think that. Okay, we got to go back a little bit because we can't, we have to mention. Yes, please. We got we got to mention the the menstruation. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You can't talk about this book without talking about that scene. Um, Lestat enjoys himself a a, a, a menstrual snack, um, for lack of a, any other way of saying it. But I feel like you can't. I was really kind of shocked by that the first time I read it. And then also, like, kind of, like, fascinated by it as well, because it's this whole, like, embracing of something that is completely safe for him to consume. It's not going to hurt her. And it's also very specifically grounded in the, like, in the femme world, you know, in the, in the feminine or, you know, world as we understand it. That's interesting. I, and you know, Ashley, I had kind of glossed over it. I, I didn't have anything about it in my notes. I hadn't even really thought about it. But it occurs to me, that's the sort of thing that you might see the television series introducing earlier, maybe even in a different Ooh. character, in uh, that the, it seems clear to me that the TV series is going to explore more the sexy actual vampires. sexualization. Sexy vampires, Yes, Joel. sexy vampires. In Anne's world, there's not a lot of actual sexual intercourse, right? The sex comes through the blood. Yeah, 100%. And uh, now Marius and Pandora both actually screw a couple oh. of times, and eventually Lestat does in some of the books as well, but it's always sort of like a circus gimmick. It's yeah. it's almost like, oh, and look at look this at thing we can do. It's do. not the point. No, it's not at all the point. Right. I think in this universe... They're, they're gonna. F I think these vampires are gonna, gonna fuck, fuck. Probably, <laughs> y'all. These are gonna be some sexy fucking vampires. I'm so excited. It's gonna be so good. These are sexy vampires. They were always sexy vampires. Well, she wrote them as sexy vampires. My God. Yes. No. She. You have to go back and you have to think, especially the first four or five books, the the world that she was writing those in, and the world that Anne herself comes from, right? And the it's so funny. I was literally having this discussion with one of my sons earlier. Even me, a child of the eighties and nineties, the options for sexual and romantic expression that are available and known by your average teenager today are much more varied and and wide than the ones that were available to me and i don't know exactly you had to go looking for your porn joel you had to go find it well i mean not just that but like <laughs> but even just the the expression the i the idea the idea that you could be bisexual 100%. i didn't know i didn't even know that that was a thing for instance or that you could be gender fluid Absolutely. or that you or that you could be attracted to personalities and intellect as opposed to as i told my son the wobbly bits you know because like these it is books sort of are why we're not assholes joel <laughs> these books are in part why I mean, we're not yes, assholes because but we the, saw that representation 
in the books, though, so much of that is subtext, and I think in the series, so much of that is going to be text. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, I agree, but... It's going to be more surface. I was comfortable with that when I read them because... Now, this is something that was really interesting and kind of makes me sound a bit like an asshole, and I do not mean it to be. But if I'm an asshole, then I'm an asshole. It's fine. I get it. Here's the thing. I grew up in a family that had openly gay friends. Like, we had openly gay friends, Mm. family friends in the 80s and 90s. So, like, I have always been comfortable around homosexuality, bisexuality. I, I, it wasn't, like, verboten in in our household to discuss. It wasn't anything that wasn't out of the normal because it was relationships that I saw on the regular. You know what I mean? And so... I was always, like, I wasn't ever uncomfortable with any of that, which I don't think, that's not what you're saying, obviously, but I think that that's, like, like, I didn't get people being in the closet. (laughs) I didn't realize that that was a thing for Mm. a really long time, because in my world, what, that doesn't matter, you know what I mean? But in the 90s, that was a huge thing, and obviously a thing, you know what I mean? Absolutely, I no, I do understand what you're saying, but yes, in 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 my world, I mean, I knew, I knew, um, uh, I I knew gay men, especially, and at least one lesbian woman when I was, you know, ten, twelve, a teenager. But the idea that you know anyone could you could find attraction and romance Absolutely. with these are going to be some whoever you wanted to vamps. and that didn't necessarily and that didn't necessarily have to mean a lifelong commitment or or change in your personality or expression you know what i'm you know no. what i'm saying like the idea that the idea that you had that sort of like spectrum of expression in romance i didn't understand as a kid even reading these books and it, it occurs to me that I do think, just honestly for ratings and because of the way that television is these days, especially television uh, of this nature, um, you know, this sort of like premium television that this is competing with, I think a certain level of sexuality is going to be expected that is actually a little heightened or more front than the books were. And honestly, I think that's a a great thing. And an example that as people discover this series, they it won't have to be like oh hey louis and the stat love each other love each other it's a romantic yeah. love not just uh i think that's all going to be not on just front roommates <laughs> they're not roommates no exactly i think louis is very specifically going to be sort of like war- warring with his sexuality even as a mortal in the series before the transformation and and i think that's i think that's a cool thing to explore so. through That'd this be great that'd be great to see in the character before in his mortality i would love that well and the and the idea the discussion you have there of the the menstrual blood like i wouldn't have thought of about that but if you have a universe where um sort of human vampire relationships Relationships are more common absolutely yeah then then that's a that's a great way that i don't think we've seen i don't think i've ever seen that on screen honestly like i'm trying to i've seen a lot of vampire movies and tv shows i don't think true blood ever did i've that seen a lot of vampires and i've seen a lot of oral sex and i don't think i've ever seen that <laughs> <laughs> i'm with you i'm with you all right so there's something that there you go mark your calendars mark kids it. we're probably like uh five six years away but i think uh, i think we could look episode. forward to that someday <laughs> Of our oh my god! Mm. Yep. All right. 
So quickly, I want to get to some of this feedback that we got in the um, Facebook group on this episode specifically. Oh, excellent. Um, uh, Ashley, before we get to that, do you have any kind of final thoughts? I, I want to wrap this oh. up. And, and again, don't uh, don't worry. We've got another episode coming ASAP about our discussion of the behind-the-scenes special and the TV series itself. And then starting October 2nd, you'll get episodes weekly as long as Interview with the Vampire, the television series is running, and then when Mayfair Witches is on, we'll cover that week-to-week -week as well. Uh, but as we sort of close up our discussion of Mimnock, uh, what are your uh, your final thoughts on it? Armand, Armand's, um, so, uh, how deep are we spoiling? Are we gonna, can, is it okay if I talk about Armand? You, at this point, you can, you can spoil okay. the book, yes. So, we, we, we lose, air, we, <laughs> air quotes, we lose Armand in, in this book, and I thought I was going to die. Joel, when I read that the first time, I literally thought I was gonna die. I cried so hard. I was so heartbroken. I, it seemed, and I love what you said earlier about like Armand being like, um, I didn't understand it at the time. What you just said about him being a representation of, of like a youthful Anne and her faith. Like that really clicked with me just now when you said it, because I didn't really, it felt like so out of nowhere for me. And it felt like such a waste when I read it the first time. And this time it didn't feel that way. And the way you describe, and the way you, what you said, I think um, is exactly the reason why is that you can see a little bit. I understand a little bit more his faith. I understand him a little bit more on a deeper level than I understood him at the time. Yeah, I, so I, I had, uh, I didn't remember how this was resolved and I was like, wait, do they, does she recognize this? <laughs> <laughs> she, I mean, like there's more, he's got his own book in a minute. <laughs> there's a whole book in a minute. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I guess it is kind of hard to spoil that since there is a whole, a whole damn book later, but I just, I was so heartbroken, like. As, a, as only a teenager that reads vampire books can be, <laughs> I thought I was going to die. <laughs> it's interesting, though, because I was going to mention earlier, there are, and again, I'm not going to get into spoilers on this because this includes the, the sort of the Prince Lestat series that you haven't really read either. There are not hints necessarily in the character of Memnock though there are references that he makes to like Lestat forgiving Marius could you forgive Marius the vampire that created you um the very character of Memnock though uh this moment with Armand where he goes into the sun all of those things are plot points concepts discussions that Anne revisits oh, good. in those later that books that makes me very happy because there and, were just vampires lined up to do that and I was like what the I, I didn't remember that I didn't remember male being there like I was like what the hell well, are we just lining up to throw ourselves into the sun over Lestat acting like a douche like what is happening and that's not what I mean it made me it made me think of uh, Ashley, my my sons and I have discussed it before. You know, if aliens showed up, if 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 alien spaceships showed up outside, you know, Washington D.C., like Independence Day or something, you would have people 
jumping off buildings or committing suicide in one way or another. Because, and not only that, but you would also have world religions reckoning with this new revelation and how does it relate to their, exactly, 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 right? So this is effectively what happens in the novel here. You have this supernatural element introduced into the story and to the universe that forces some supernatural beings like Mayel and Armand to react in an irrational way, but also mortal ones as well. And, and I think that's absolutely true to life. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, since the pandemic and we've watched people's response to that, I will never say again that, uh, the world's response to a cataclysmic event in a book or something is irrational. No one knows how the world will respond. Yeah. So, um, but that moment, though, and and those things that I discussed, it is interesting to me to think: are those just things that, like, as Anne was finally ready to get back on the horse and write new books, that she was like, "Well, what plot holes or what discussions are left to have?" Or even in this book, as she wrote it, did she already have these things? You know, if I ever get around to it, I would like to discuss X or Y or Z. Um, and then she finally does in in some of the later books. And of course, I think we've already discussed it. A lot of people in the fandom don't really care for those last three books, but whether you do or not, it's interesting to think that those, um, those ideas were already in her head. Anne's done that all the, yeah. all along. If you go back and read interview with the vampire and the vampire list stat, there are sort of references to things that, that then get paid off in a, in a larger Absolutely. way. Um, you know, in queen of the damned and tale of the body thief and so She's forth. She's building a world y'all. It's, I mean, it's, it's like, it's a whole it's beautiful it's like tolkien it's like it's like all of our writers that we love that have built these beautiful universes that we get to like play in and enjoy and i'm so pumped about it um one last thing i have to say is uh, uh is uh his the note from mimnock at the end mm. well not at the end but at the fake ending <laughs> Where he gets the note, where he's yes, like, the one that, hmm, thank you for being the, st- the stooge that I expected you to be, basically. Well, and it's one of those things that, as we talked about with the the feeding from Christ. It's mi- is it a manipulation? Okay, that, that note is manipulative. That note is manipulative, but what in what way is right, it manipulative? Right. Did he actually set Lestat up to do that? Or now that Lestat's done it, does he want to twist the knife and make Lestat feel bad for for whatever exactly. he did? You know, it's so, so um I, they're so multifaceted. Like they're oh my girl. Well, and it, I mean it drives Lestat mad, right? This this <laughs> I mean the combination of the note and the eyes. Brat Prince, the delivery oh, of the eyes. Can't mess up his beautiful eyes. So I uh, I love this book. I, I cannot wait for this thing to happen on screen, and I'm I'm super excited about it. I I do think that it will be controversial when we get there. Oh, so um, much! But I I think it's I think it's exciting too, and it is an example of the heights and depths that this series can go. You know, if you've watched any of um sandman that is on netflix oh right my now God, it's so that good. show has some amazing visuals oh. right it's just just outstanding those are the sorts of things that we could see on screen for this trip to heaven and hell the creation of the universe well, I spent a money know, on this. we could see exactly that's money. what i'm saying you and you can see it in this series already so if if here here's what we have to do as fans if you are interested in this and you want them to get there 
then the show has to be a success, right? So if you watch it and you like it, tell your friends about it. Tell your siblings, tell your your mom, your dad, tell your book reading buddies, tell your people especially that aren't book reading buddies. For real. Uh, tell them to check out Look, the show. it's a great story. And uh, tell them to watch for, it. For people that, like, you don't have to read the books to get into this. That's for the whole point of a TV series. Like, that's not, it doesn't, and, and we will not gatekeep by any measure over here you know like however you want to be a part of this fandom is so fun and exciting and welcome because that is the way Anne was she welcomed everyone literally into her house sometimes to hang out and talk about her books so that's that's the example we have to follow you know we have to make it open and available for everyone and i'm i'm just i'm so incredibly excited about what's to come Excellent. Yes. God, those are really good words to end it on. Uh, I, unfortunately, I do want to read a little bit of this yes, feedback uh, quickly. Sorry. Um, all right. So Matt Bradley uh, says, it took me decades to finish Memnon, <laughs> some of Anne Rice's <laughs> luscious writing, and it can be creepy, but the story feels very slight. Uh, and You're honestly, right. I think he's right 100%. there. It's basically, it's this, the real quote unquote story is that short story at the beginning. And then the rest of it is this sort of theological treatise. Uh, Lestat already had a big what am I crisis in The Body Thief. Mimnock is too overwrought for me. Yeah. I was totally agreeing. And I think that because... Um, so you and I, we've already talked about the fact that this was like the first of these books that we bought as it was released. So I had read... I had a big gap between Body Thief and Memnock in my reading. And there are some similarities in how this story kind of gets going and gets rolling that feel, that can mm. feel a little repetitive if you just read Body Thief. Because a lot of the, a lot of the setup for this up until the point that we meet, that Lestat finally does his kill and we go forward, is him and David talking about big conversations you know what i mean well and there's in in tale of the body thief he's being tracked by the body yeah, thief whole, for a while like, stalked it, by the it, body thief in this one at the beginning he's stalked by the stranger Memnock, while he's stalking uh dora's father so yes it, it there are repetitive there so are I echoes get it, what, what is I, george lucas is saying it it rhymes, it rhymes. it's like a poem that's my god <laughs> put on a flannel and a beard and call me your friend Um, so Kaya Reinhardt in the uh, Facebook group says Lestat can really wear his heart on his sleeve sometimes. Also, what was happening in Anne's life when she was writing this? So I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this was, uh, right around the time when she was sort of like beginning her re-entry to the Catholic okay, faith. Okay, now I remember uh, at the opposite. For one reason I say that. I remember at the opposite. Okay, well. I feel like this was when. And, and maybe so. But my thought is this is when she abandoned the vampire books for a long time, right? There's that huge gap between Memnock and when she comes back and writes the, uh, no, I'm putting I'm putting the wrong thing together. <laughs> there was The gap came Body after theme. the spinoff books, right? Well, oh, no, there's oh. a gap between Body Thief yes. and Mimnock. But then she writes she writes Mimnock, and she puts Lestat to bed, but she writes Pandora, Pandora Vittorio, Blood and Gold, uh, uh, Armand's book is there, the Vampire Armand. And then 
she has her religious period, I think, before she picks Lestat back up with Blackwood Farm. Or, no, Blackwood Farm was the capper. She wrote Blackwood Farm, Merrick and Blackwood Farm as the cappers, and that's when she wrote her angel books and kind of rejoined the Catholic faith for a while. So you're right, I'm, I'm ahead of times. That's, that wasn't what was going on in her life now. This isn't when Stan passed away. I no, wonder what no. was happening, Ashley. I, I, I just remember her, I remember in interviews, and, and I could be misremembering, obviously, you know, memory is trash, but <laughs> I, I feel like I remember her in interviews just talking about like you know having questions and, and and feeling disconnected and that sort of thing but i could completely be making that up um it makes me realize that i need to do more biographical research on our lady anne and um i definitely need to spend a little bit more time uh drawing those like connections you know what i mean yeah absolutely well and the there are a couple of good um there are a couple of good uh, biographies out there too uh Catherine ramsland wrote a good one yes. and then Anne has her own book that i've been meaning to read uh called out of the darkness i think which is specifically about her sort of religious journey journey and her where she was at that time uh, of publication if, if you want to write so, a biography Joel, I'll interesting conversations we had throughout <laughs> maybe down the road we got to get this podcast off the ground <laughs> first uh we got to welcome a whole new group of uh Vampire of audience members i'm so in. excited you guys i'm welcome 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 if you're just finding us and finding this world I am uh, am so excited uh, with you to to welcome you all in and excited to hear more from each of you as we go. Excited to share this journey with you, especially excited to share it with you, Hell Ashley. Yes. Um, for this episode, we're going to wrap things up. Again, we will be back uh, on Sunday, September 25th, with an episode about the behind-the-scenes special. And then starting October 2nd, we'll be uh, along with you for every episode of the TV series itself as they build out this whole universe. Until the next time we talk to you, we've been your hosts. Ashley wright Eiler, And I'm Joel Sharpton. And this is The Articulate Coven. Thanks for listening to The Articulate Coven. You can join our community on Facebook by following the links in the show notes or searching for Articulate Coven on Facebook. You can subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at articulatecoven.com and share us with your Anne Rice-loving friends. <laughs>